where the early morning hum from the railside works plugged any gaps left by the Abingdon road traffic. Her kitchen window looked out on a meadow. The ham, beyond which lay the railway line, where rail track operated a pick-and-mix gravel concession, or that's what it looked like. Trucks, and what the darlings called digger lorries, shunted to and fro around it from the early hours, their diesel-powered belching blunted by an eight-foot baffle, without which, presumably, everything would have been much noisier. It was part of the background hum, and throbbed beneath the morning like the area's heartbeat. Louise was barely conscious of it, was utterly irony-free in choosing radio silence. Besides, she wasn't at liberty to make noise these days. The bedroom above the kitchen, there were two bedrooms, in this almost comically narrow house, whose front door opened directly onto the living room, had, until lately, been the other bedroom, the one that wasn't Louise's. And now it had become her mother's bedroom instead, that M attaching to other to produce a wholly opposite shade, the way dawn changes to dusk, one letter at a time. Down, moan, moon, Moot, most, must, musk. Above her head, her mother slept, while Louise prepared breakfast in silence. The boy saw the BMW and came to a halt, middle of the lay-by. George Trebor, watching for no special reason except that's what you did, watch when something was happening, had a plain view of this enough to realise that already, even before he was fully aware of paying witness, his version had come askew from reality, because this wasn't a boy, precisely. More like twenty, bum-fluffed rather than bearded, but beyond the point at which the mouth seems too big for the head, the nose too small for the face. He was dark-skinned and looked, George thought, exhausted, like the next big wind would blow him away. He wore jeans and a dark green bomber jacket, and a rucksack hung from his left shoulder. He grasped its strap with his left hand, while his right was thrust into his pocket. No, it hung from his right shoulder, and all those details were reversed. George had trouble with left-right when applying them to someone facing him. Anyway, middle of the lay-by, halfway to the car, the young man stopped and dropped his head to one side, as if assessing the occupants. Working the rent was George's appraisal. He himself had worked the roads long enough to be unshocked by the probability. Working the rent. But Jesus, kid, you really don't want to be getting into a car with two men. Any professional sex situation involving two-on-one, you'll be torn apart. Maybe that's what the boy was thinking. Either way, he moved no closer to the car, looked, in fact, kind of scared. George wasn't even pretending he wasn't watching now. But it wasn't like anybody knew. Height of the cab, he might have been sitting in the royal box. The boy wasn't looking anyway. His eyes were fixed on the car, and his lips moving. Saying what, George couldn't tell. Might have been a price tag. Might have been a name. The car door opened, 
and one of the men stepped out. Elsewhere, alarm clocks weren't necessary. Elliot Pedler lay on his back, eyes open, and listened to family life unfolding along the corridor. His wife's happy murmur, his children's giggling, the way it did every morning. The children were awake by six. Hell, six was a good day. And two seconds after their first stirring, Christine was out of bed and through the door. His last glimpse of her, the flash of a dimly remembered bottom under a solely functional nightie. The wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, round and round. The wheels on the bus go round and round. Sometimes he couldn't tell where his son's voices broke off, where his wife's began, as if together they...